Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hour. I'm Jason Dennington. Coming up next, we will hear a conversation between Julie Falk and Adam Davis from Oregon Humanities. But first, a story from Temple Lens from the Media Institute for Social Changes Radio U program in partnership with X-Ray FM. In a nondescript building on a quiet street in downtown Vancouver, Washington, six blind students are learning how to tune pianos. They've come from as far away as New York and as close as Portland, Oregon, and they're taking an 18-month-long program to learn how to tune and fix pianos and how to turn that into a business when they get out of school. This is the uh, piano that I actually tuned completely, and I finished tuning it yesterday. Stefan is from New York State. He's waiting for his instructor to give him his next assignment, so he just sat down to play for a little while. The School of Piano Technology for the Blind was founded in 1949. Every year, this accredited technical school graduates one to six students who are prepared to earn an independent living and run their own business. The class sizes may be small, but this is a big deal. The unemployment rate for blind and visually impaired adults is nearly 70%. Most of the students are in their early to mid-20s, recently out of high school or college. Stefan, who's playing the piano he tuned himself, also taught himself this song. That is actually from a video game. Final Fantasy X. Don Mitchell, the director of instruction, knows the program works because he went through it himself. I learned right here. I started in 1971. In June of 1973, I graduated. And in July of 1973, they hired me to work for them, and I've been here ever since. And basically what I do is I go in and I untune something, and I tune it with them listening. And I explain to them what I'm doing, and I make sound effects, and I do everything I can to try to get them to understand. And then I say, okay, now you try it. Don wasn't exaggerating when he said he untunes the pianos so students can tune them. I followed him into one of the workrooms and watched him crawl under the piano to completely dismantle the pedal system. Now this is something that oftentimes has to be done when you're surfacing a piano because the springs in this system will break and so you have to replace them. So I'm making sure that he knows how to dismantle and re- reassemble all of this. Jim, who enrolled this past fall, just turned 39. He came to the school because he wanted more. More for himself and more for his young family. I, I love the idea of like having that specific knowledge of a skill of being my own boss and having tools. Man, that sounds really macho and cool. But I have been trying to get my stuff together. I, <laughs> I got married and I... Uh, <laughs> We had a son, and, uh, you know, it is time that I uh, be able to help provide for my family in, in, in a meaningful way, not just, you know, bring home a paycheck, but be proud of myself and have my family be proud of me, too. I think all of us come into life with feelings about who we are and what we're capable of, and, you know, we either have a lot of confidence or we don't. One of the things that this program does, because it's really hard, and especially blind people, they're not really sure what they can do, what they're capable of doing, and they discover they can do something that's really hard and that they can do it well. And it is a life-changing activity. To go through that struggle does something to you inside. It it changes you. It makes you a confident person. And 
What we want is people to leave here with the confidence and the ability to live independently and to be happy doing it. And that's really the core of it. Students come here to learn a trade, and they leave with a whole lot more. That was a story from X-ray FM producer Temple Lentz from the Media Institute's Radio U program, and now our host Julie Falk. Hello, everyone. I'm Julie Falk. This is the Nonprofit Hour, brought to you by the Media Institute. And today, I am talking to Adam Davis, Executive Director of Oregon Humanities. Hi, Adam. Hey, Julie. It's good to meet you. Good to meet you too. So. You uh, came to Portland how many years ago now? Just under two years. Two years. And you came for the job at Oregon Humanities, is that right? That was a good part of it, yeah. yeah. The place was part of it. Having a couple of young kids was part of it, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so where did, where did you move from? Chicago. And what were you doing in Chicago? So one of the things I was doing was running an organization called the Center for Civic Reflection, mm-hmm. uh, which worked around the country getting people talking about Uh, all sorts of tough questions and training people to lead those kinds of discussions. That's actually how I got to know Oregon Humanities, Mm -hmm. uh, working with a number of different humanities councils, training facilitators. For those uh, listeners who don't know Oregon Humanities and aren't familiar with its mission and the organization, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. I'll tell you what we try to do first and then can give you a little bit more of the history. But what we try to do is get people talking across difference, especially about tough questions. So another way to think about that is reflection and connection. Try to get people thinking, try to get people connecting with the idea that any work we want to get done in the world, uh, more effective if we're listening to people we disagree with, if we feel more connected to the outcomes of that work ourselves, and if we're more imaginative and empathetic. It's very interesting to me that that sounds like the organ humanities that I have heard of over the years before you even came. And so it sounds like you you were ready for organ humanities and organ humanities was ready for you in terms of the vision. Uh, But where is the organization today and where has it been? State humanities councils in general have been around for about 40 years. Uh, since the mid, actually more than that, mid-60s, National Endowment for the Humanities started. And then in the 70s, there were experiments with statewide affiliates. Uh, and in some ways, I think they used to be more traditional academic, uh, sort of public academic organizations. And now there's a spectrum of what humanities councils do. I think Oregon Humanities is very much on the civic engagement side, uh, a little bit less on the heritage and history side. And we really think about the humanities as tools tools to get people connecting and talking. Um, So as an organization, we went through recently and and came up with a vision, which is, I'll just say it right now, it's an Oregon that invites diverse perspectives, explores challenging questions, and strives for just communities. And we take the verb seriously, invites, explores, and strives, but also the fact that we have the word justice in our mission, or at least the adjective just, is... uh, I think a little bit unusual and also shows really what, what we're committed to. It doesn't mean we know what justice means, but we think that that's why it's important to do this kind of work, is to strengthen the way we live together. How are you finding Portland? Uh, yeah, I'm coming from Chicago, so Portland is relatively congenial um, in that uh, there's a lot of access to people. People answer the phone. People are ready to uh, meet and talk. Uh, and here, you know, we're a statewide organization, so it's not just Portland that I'm finding. It's also... You know, Grants Pass and LeGrand and really trying to get out around the state. And so Oregon has a version of the perceived rural-urban split that Illinois also had. Uh, 
in different ways. But so that's, I think, one of the challenges that our 10 or 11 person organization has is that we, we got to be working statewide. Yeah. Tell me more about that and, and how you get out into those communities. We get out in a few ways. I think uh, one of our key programs is called the Conversation Project. It's a rotating catalog of about 30 or 35 topics. It could be guns in America or why aren't there more black people in Oregon or what we want from the wild. And any community organization around the state can request any one of those topics. And we're seeing more of those happen outside the Willamette Valley than inside the Willamette Valley. So that's a great source of statewide work is whether it's the Tillamook County Pioneer Museum or the Crook County Public Library in Prineville, uh, groups getting together to talk about hard questions. And those questions echo differently depending on where you are, which is one of the really interesting things to see. Um, we also give grants around the state, although it's not a huge part of what we do. And then, of course, we publish a magazine, um, which reaches about 15,000 people around the state. And the online stuff that accompanies the magazine, and in some cases even precedes it, uh, is also getting not just around the state, but around the country. So uh, another program I mentioned to you, Idea Lab, which is with rising high school seniors thinking about the pursuit of happiness. That involves about 150 young people, and they too come from around the state. And I think they're one of the, one of the really big... Uh, things about the program that works well is that you have young people from different parts of the state, different kinds of schools, different backgrounds, all together for a few days thinking about what it is that makes them and other people happy and teachers the same way. 18 teachers getting professional development to lead this remark on just how important it is to have these kids essentially mixing together. Is the Idea Lab something that originated from Oregon Humanities? Yeah, in fact, uh, it started here and now we've seen other humanities councils picking it up and... Uh, under different names, running versions of it, and even uh, we won a, a national prize for it last year at the Federation of State Humanities Councils gathering, which is nice, although it's uh, it's a small prize, but still nice to get some recognition for an innovative program. Uh, another program we've been running here that's been picked up in all sorts of places is called Think and Drink, and it's, uh, you know, we actually have... It's been recently Cheryl Strayed, Barry Lopez, Walida Imarisha. We'll have Eula Biss coming up later this summer talking about immunity and community. Uh, so, But that's another one where it's just trying to get people talking wherever they are, go where they are, uh, try to create space and structure for people to get into questions and hear each other and enjoy it as well. And how does Oregon Humanities differ from the other statewide humanities councils in terms of its focus on civic engagement? I think the first way is in terms of format. So participation is really what we're after. We're trying wherever possible to ensure that uh, everyone is involved and that there's... uh, So our expertise is at least as much around getting people talking as it is around a particular topic. And so that means that it's not always uh, a professor that's leading programs. It might be someone with uh, good experience in the subject, someone for whom a question is alive rather than someone who has studied it, written a couple books on it. I think there are strengths of both, and we're trying to make sure that both are uh, there to lead conversations. So format's one part, and the other part is really keeping in mind the end. Why is it important to get people thinking and talking? And it's not... uh, in a way, a kind of simply a learning throughout life argument. It's really that if we're thinking about questions, if we're talking about the hard stuff, it's going to strengthen the way we live together, both as communities and even as individuals as well. 
This is the Nonprofit Hour brought to you by the Media Institute. And today I am talking to Adam Davis, Executive Director of Oregon Humanities. I'm really curious to know how Oregon Humanities thinks about engagement and participation and, and who is your audience because you're a funding organization, you're, a, you're an organization that brings people together, you have readers, you have donors, you have supporters. Who 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 makes up organ humanities and, and what does it mean to be engaged and how are the different ways to be engaged? Thanks for that question. And you're right. You point to, I think, some of the complexity of our organization, which is we're uh, topically agnostic to some degree. So we range across a wide number of topics and also lots of different audiences from high school students to uh, low-income adults who participate in a college course we run called Humanity in Perspective. And then, as you say, donors are a big part of what we do and grantee organizations around the state, public libraries. I think, for me, it's important to keep in mind that what we're after, if we're speaking boldly about what we do, is culture change. And so that requires a lot of different vehicles and a lot of different tactics. But that range of tactics is unified by the end we're after. And so the more people we can get involved, the better. Of course, we have to make choices about where to direct limited resources. Uh, But we try to make those with the end in mind and thinking really strategically, why is it important to be working with low-income adults for nine months, twice a week? That's a big uh, input of staff time and money, and it's completely worth it because of the transformative effect it has not only on the people in the room, from the students to the teachers and the interns, but also on the families of those people involved. Um, so that's one extreme, I think, of uh, sort of depth of interaction. And then there are some lighter touch, lower access, uh, lower barrier, easier access, like the magazine, for example, which anyone can pick up on their own without going anywhere. Um, but I think it's important for us to continue trying in all these different ways to reach people. And in the magazine, are you talking to all of those audiences? It's a good question. I think uh, we're talking to a range of audiences in the magazine. And one of the reasons we're trying to do a bunch of work online now with podcasts and short videos and a blog um, is to reach people. Again, a wide range. Um, it happens that I think, you know, your earlier question about where we're coming from, as we've surveyed our readers and participants, I think it used to be a little older, a little more college educated, um, in some cases, majority advanced degrees, and that's shifting, um, which is not to say we're losing those folks, but also we're seeing more people who are younger, who don't necessarily have advanced degrees or college education are coming in. And that's what we want to see is we want to see participation that reflects the demographic of the state. You refer to your mission and to your vision. What what kind of change does Oregon Humanities want to see in our state? We want to see a more connected state, uh, a more imaginative state, a more vital state. And so those those can seem a little abstract uh, but there are ways to measure it. Did you, you know, it can be as simple as, did you talk to someone today or hear from someone today you hadn't talked to before? Did you hear a perspective you hadn't heard before? Did you think fresh about an idea that you thought you were committed to before you came in? Did you share what you talked about with someone outside this room? Uh, how did this affect what you're going to try to do in the world? So, for example, to go back to one of the conversation projects I mentioned, why aren't there more black people in Oregon, a hidden history? One of the outcomes of getting people together to think about that question has been the formation of work groups. Now, Oregon Humanities doesn't organize that work group. 
and isn't uh, prescribing what the outcome should be. But we absolutely hope that many of our discussion format programs lead to people continuing to get together. We're about to launch a series of statewide discussions on death and dying. Um, We've assembled a team of facilitators who we had together for a training day, again, from around the state. And there will be resources that people can go to for the decisions they're going to make. But that's after the discussion, which is going to be an open-ended, reflective discussion full of questions meant to generate yet more questions while also providing tools to answer those. You've already alluded to two very tough questions. Why are there not more black people in Oregon? And um, the questions that are raised through the conversations that you'll be having about death and dying. What other tough questions do you um, are you having right now or do you want people to be having? We're in the midst of a year of pretty in-depth conversation series uh, for military veterans and their families, uh, thinking about uh, coming home, what it means to come home, uh, not only for people that have served, but also for a country that has signed off on asking people to serve. And we're especially getting conversations going across generations and across different wars. Uh, And these in general are facilitated by people who themselves have served. And we're finding that these are really uh, necessary and uh, having really strong impact on the people in the room. Um, The conversation project in general is framed around questions. So it could be, why do we intervene in the lives of others? What good are we hoping to get done and how do we know when it's working? Uh, It could be about things like the rural-urban divide that I mentioned earlier or what we want from the wild. The nice thing is there's no shortage of important questions to talk about, and it's very hard to talk about them and be done with them. These are questions that often stay with us. Are there questions that you've thought about posing that you thought, no, you know what, this isn't the right time. This is an important question, but the timing isn't right. Yeah. But we don't have the resources or we're not the right organization to pose them. Yeah. I think in general, uh, that's the challenge, is the challenge that is, is what to say no to. Um, And it's related to resources more than anything else. It's that we have a limited number of people, limited number of hours, and we really want to make sure that given our vision, given that orientation towards justice, that we're asking questions that are really getting after things that maybe aren't being talked about enough. Um, So there's any number of questions we could be talking about, but I think the further it feels from that vision of inviting diverse perspectives, exploring challenging questions, and striving for just communities, the harder it is to make a case for putting resources there. Now, we just finished up a series on race and policing, a series of programs around Portland, and that was a responsive set of programs. And I think, I guess that's the other part of what you're asking. Uh, In addition to how do we know when to say no, there's the question of what to say yes to. And more and more we want to be saying yes to what feels like uh, an emergent question, a question where we're clearly working with community partners, new and prospective, where they're there seems to be a gap. Um, and one thing that Oregon Humanities can bring is neutrality. Uh, we're not affiliated with a specific outcome, which I think can open up a space to really have a discussion that in some cases can be hard to have otherwise. So Oregon Humanities has a staff of? 
10 going on 11, also five interns, a board of about 20, a number of volunteers, and as you say, many donors as well. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a lot of work done and you're asking a lot of hard questions. Uh, who, are, who, do you, who do you partner with in order to, to, get these, to get this work done? Everything from public libraries all around the state and library systems to community colleges, and in some cases universities, uh, social service organizations. We recently ran a program with Adelante Mujeres uh, that was a spin-off of our Humanity and Perspective program. So it was a, a five-session uh, discussion series in Spanish, uh, getting at some big questions around civic engagement and participation. Um, in general, I think our partners are, you know, we just actually partnered with Right Around Portland on another spinoff from Humanity and Perspective. Idea Lab has 18 different schools involved from around the state, from LaGrande and Sisters, Portland, Medford. Uh, so they run the gamut from social service organizations to libraries uh, and in some cases political organizations. I was just down leading a conversation project with the Siskiyou Field Institute. Uh, we also partner with other Oregon Cultural Trust partners, um, Oregon Historical Society, Heritage, uh, the Arts Commission. So really trying to see where the overlap is. All right, Adam, what are we going to listen to next? So uh, Janelle Monet, Tightrope, uh, because I think uh, just the challenge of uh, falling off when you're trying to do hard work and... Uh, and because I can't forget the video. I take your pain away. Some people talk about you like they know all about you. When you get down, they doubt you. And when you tip it on the scene, yeah, they talking about it. Because they can't tip on the scene, what you talk about it. Talking about it. When you get elevated, they love it or they hate it. You dance up on them haters. Keep your infunky on the scene while they jumping around you. They trying to take all of your dreams, but you can't allow it. Because This is the Nonprofit Hour brought to you by the Media Institute. And today I am talking to Adam Davis, Executive Director of Oregon Humanities. The idea of taking the interdisciplinary approach to a topic and within a small organization with a small staff sounds pretty innovative. How did that idea come to you or to the organization? I mean, I'm happy to say that you asked early about Oregon Humanities and why I came out here. And one of the reasons was because I had met some people that worked at Oregon Humanities before getting here. And uh, we have a... I think we have a really great staff, and so just about everything we do is uh, interdisciplinary in the sense that people are a group of people are contributing. Um, it's funny to say that there's something innovative about working together rather than in departments. I remember when I was in grad school and I was studying, you know, I studied some long-dead philosophers. I studied political philosophy, and there's this point in Plato's Republic where in speech, they're setting up the ideal city. And early on, Socrates says, and in this new city we're setting up, the, the principle is essentially going to be one man, one job. And the people he's talking to, Glaucon and Adamantus, just assent. They go, yeah, one man, one job. Let's keep going. And at that point, I always would stop and go, 
are you crazy? One, that's not how I think we're set up. I don't think we're each set up to do just one thing. I think we're all set up to do a few things, and that's how we function best. And that's what I think we ought to be doing in our office as well. We're trying to make it happen. There are things that compel uh, certain people and certain departments to own items and be most accountable, but still to figure out how to do it productively so that you have new ideas coming in all the time. I just think that's very inspirational. Um, you know, we're the nonprofit hour. We talk to a lot of different nonprofit organizations, and I think in the life cycle of a nonprofit, you often see people wearing different hats, and yeah. it is more interdisciplinary. Uh, not even interdisciplinary, but there's more of, you know, people people playing different roles. And it's often considered that that's in a kind of early phase of an organization. And I like the way you're talking about a mature organization or a maturing organization taking that and and really making the best out of it. Trying. I mean, I, the, the, other, the other answer to your question about our internal culture is one of experimentation. And that is... We are a small organization, and that gives us some freedom to continue to try and adjust pretty quickly by being reflective ourselves about what's working and what isn't. And uh, if it turns out we're pushing too far, pushing people too far either out of their comfort zone or uh, sort of losing too much uh, unity and energy in any position because it's getting too diffuse, we'll have to pull it back. But right now it feels like it's really generating a lot of uh, enthusiasm and imagination for how we might do things. What is on your reading list these days? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, I often read for work because I end up doing things like you're doing with me right now, where I'll interview people. Recently interviewed Ruth Ozeki and uh, Walida Imarisha, and we'll be interviewing Eula Biss. Uh, I'm reading Juno Diaz's recent collection right now. Uh, tend to like uh, tend to like fiction a lot. Just read... Uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, David Schaefer, who's a Portland-based author. Um, so trying to read a lot of Oregonians. I haven't been out here yet two years and trying to read as many people writing out here as possible, but also following the leads of our program. So Atul Gawande on Being Mortal, trying to read a lot of military veterans writing about their service, help shape that program a bit, those sorts of things. So how, how can people get involved in Oregon Humanities? Yeah, people can get involved uh, in a number of ways. I think the first is to come out for programs, come out for a conversation project by looking at our calendar online at OregonHumanities.org, participate in a conversation project or come to a think and drink. Uh, we have volunteers who have contributed mightily to many of the things we do, so that's that's always something to think about. Uh, also, we're open to thinking about new partnerships and new programs, and if you have ideas, we'd love to hear them. We are growing our pool of facilitators over the next few years. That's one of the big emphases we have as part of our business plan right now. And so uh, discussion leaders need not, uh, need not come from a certain background, and in a way what we want is really diverse teams of people um, helping other folks talk about questions that are key to them. Uh, of course, people can get involved by supporting the organization, and I think at any level, again, that to me, uh, when we get you know five dollar gifts, ten dollar gifts, that's as important and, and in a way encouraging as gifts that have more zeros attached to them. Um, I should say, I don't know who's listening, and I should say our Humanity and Perspective program for low-income adults has had a really transformative effect on a lot of people. And if that's the entry point for some listeners, I hope they'll they'll check into that. We'll be accepting applications this summer for a program that starts in September. 
So those are some of the quick ways. And uh, I think checking out our site sometimes can give people ideas. Because we run a range of programs, sometimes I think just looking and going, oh, wait, that's where, that's where I see the entry point um, will help. Well, thank you, Adam. This has been really interesting, and um, I would love to continue the conversation, but we need to say goodbye for today. This has been the Nonprofit Hour brought to you by the Media Institute, and you can be in conversation with Adam and with Oregon Humanities through all the different conversations they're having across the state, and I do welcome you to go and look at the website of Oregon Humanities and to and to become a part of the conversation. All right, Adam, what are we going to go out with today? What's the last thing you've brought for us to listen to? How about Woody Guthrie working hard blues? Uh, since the nonprofit hustle can feel that way sometimes, and uh, there's also good humor in there as well. Great, thank you. I was born working and I worked my way up by hard work. I ain't never got nowhere yet, but I got there by hard work. Work of the hardest kind. I've been down and I've been out. I've been disgusted and busted and I couldn't be trusted. I worked my way up and I worked my way down. I've been drunk and I've been sober and I've been baptized and got hijacked. I've been robbed for cash and I've been robbed on credit. Worked my way in jail and I worked my way out of jail. Woke up a lot of mornings, didn't know where I was at. And that brings us to the end of the Nonprofit Hour for this week. We'd like to thank our guests, Daniela Milan of Milagro Theater and Adam Davis of Oregon Humanities, Temple Lens for the Radio U segment, the Media Institute for Social Change, and the Best of Portland winning radio station, X-Ray FM. If you're looking for more information on the Nonprofit Hour, find us on Facebook and SoundCloud or follow us on Twitter at Nonprofit Hour. This show was produced with the indispensable and very gracious assistance of Ann Kirkpatrick, as well as myself, Jason Dennington. Special thanks to our hosts, Phil Bussey and Julie Falk, and to the Media Institute. And extra thanks to you, our listeners. Thanks for listening. Please tune in again next time.